again this week, whether you're catching our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or maybe on the radio at uh, 101.3 The Buzz right here in Cleveland, Tennessee, or WNWS.TV. Anyway, you have found us. We are glad you are here. Uh, Exciting show today. We're in the dog days of summer, just trying to tread water, keep from sinking until football gets here. You know, the NBA finals, they're over. NHL, it's over. Uh, We can just bet this grind that is the 160-game Major League Baseball season, which um, I have certainly been partaking in and not doing so well of late. But we we have some exciting news tonight. We have a new sports handicapping contributor coming on in our next segment. Keep Dory, he and I go way back. We've got to turn on the Wayback Machine. and we're going to tell some old stories. We're going to break down last week's U.S. Open. And we're going to look at Major League Baseball together. So we look forward to having Keith on next segment. No Big Daddy C-1000 this week. He's still got the crap internet. So until he can get his internet up to par, Big Daddy C-1000, he's still on the sidelines. Bad lands Brandon. He's Sir Mix-a-Lot on the back end producing the show this week. He'll be the one uploading the um, – podcast and get it to the radio station after we finish recording but you've got keith and myself for the duration tonight so let's start as we always do with the good the bad and the ugly since we last met the good i'm going to the celtics they said you know what we got embarrassed by miami we got to make some changes we really kind of loped the entire playoff we're the best team on paper but didn't get it done. Well, they couldn't get rid of their two big stars, but they got rid of Brogdon, and they're bringing in Chris Steps Porzingis, the unicorn, the um, Latvian, the 2015 fourth overall pick, seven-footer, game-changer, averages eight rebounds a game, and uh, might be what the Celtics need to get a little toughness and to be able to overcome those bad shooting nights. One, Porzingis is another shooter, but he's also a force inside and can be at seven foot. And that's what they needed when the shots weren't falling in games six and seven against Miami. They had no way to score on the inside. So uh, deal not all the way done yet, but there's enough smoke out there to believe there's fire. And we know that the Wizards are selling it all off. A fire sale in Washington. Bradley Bill gone to L.A. Now presumably Porzingis goes to the Celtics. That's $90 million off their payroll. They might not win 10 games next year. They're looking for that uh, total rebuild through the draft and through lottery picks next year. So I believe this one's going to come to fruition in the next 24 hours. But the Celtics have let a lot of people down this year. They lost to uh, an inferior team and left us with the finals that wasn't very competitive, where I think the Celtics might have been a, a little more competitive against Denver. 
Chris Tepps Porzingis was with Dallas, had a good career, never won big, never won a championship, but he's still a young player, 2015 draftee. I think he can make a difference uh, at, at the rim as well for the Celtics blocking the rim, giving them a little defense. So that's my good. Celtics not sitting back and, and taking it uh, easy with that play. Made it to the East Finals, but we know it was a letdown. They should have won. They should have got to the championship. The bad. I'm going to go Major League Baseball's replay uh, process. My goodness. Just Tuesday night, 6-6 game, Texas and the White Sox. And, you know, you can't. it doesn't matter what sport it is now. It's very hard to play defense. So, in baseball, now the catchers can't block the plate anymore. Like, you know, when I was coming up playing baseball, we were taught catch, your, catch the ball, block the plate, keep the runner from third from being able to touch the plate. Well, that's now illegal. So, catch uh, Rangers catcher jo- Jonah Heim behind the plate, catches a perfect throw, tags the runner out. Even though the runner had an opportunity to touch the plate, it wasn't blocked. And it goes 6-6 and it goes to the ninth. Well. The White Sox challenged the call, and after the cha- review, MLB and their review team off-site comes back and says it, the plate was blocked. Uh, anybody can go right now and just Twitter, uh, uh, just go on Twitter and look for uh, Rangers, White Sox, uh, replay, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, I can't imagine this replay crew in New York, I believe they are, Finding that this plate was blocked. Horrible. And it changed the game. So the White Sox ended up winning the game. Rangers doing all they can to be competitive and hold off Houston in their division. If it comes down to one game, it's it's, it's highway robbery. But this was a bad call. And they went to replay and reverse it. That's what's crazy. So uh, Texas Rangers manager, he gets tossed, arguing it. He's, he's 80 years old. He says it's the worst call he's seen in his entire career in baseball and uh the, the catcher for uh the rangers jo- jonah heim says how can i block the plate i was behind the plate and he was if you watch the replay so the bad more bad review more bad officiating the replay system has just made officiating worse if you ask me for the most part um very rarely does it right or wrong? More often, it creates controversy. Think about the NFL, where nobody can seem to define what is a catch and what is not a catch. But in this case, it was Major League Baseball, and a 6-6 game goes to the White Sox, who challenged the call, and the uh, they ended up reversing it, calling the runner safe at the plate. They win 7-6. So defense loses again, even on a replay. The bad and the ugly. Let's go to Memphis, Tennessee, and Penny Hardaway. Are you kidding me? News breaks as uh, this afternoon before we do the podcast that Penny Hardaway is going to be suspended for the first three games of the upcoming college basketball season. I mean, the guy can't stay out of trouble. Memphis can't stay out of trouble in general. They just can't. They're, so Penny here, him and a assistant coach went into an in-home visit for a junior in 2021. So a junior in high school, you can't do in-home visits as a coach or an assistant coach. In this case, it was both Penny and one of his assistants that went in twice to this player's house. They didn't even get the player, by the way. And um, so what does Penny say? I'm unaware of the rule. 
He was unaware of the rule. Well, that's your job is to be aware of the rules, especially when you're Benny Hardaway and you've already been under an 18-month investigation for the James Wiseman deal, another player that Memphis is going to do time for that never played there. And um, and so now we've got this. Is NCAA after Penny? Maybe, but still, you can't be that ignorant. And what about the University of Memphis's uh, compliance department? Are you kidding me? They can't coach up the, the, the basketball team a little bit and say you, this is what you can and can't do? I mean, we all know Penny was a great basketball player, but now uh, whether he's a, a, a avid reader of the uh, NCAA bylaws, I don't know. That's the that's the University of Memphis' compliance department to make sure that their coaches are aware of all the rules, especially rules on visitation. And now Memphis again. In the hot water, Penny serving a three-game suspension over just um, ignorance, absolute ignorance. The ugly, that's it. Penny and the University of Memphis, again, the basketball program, in trouble. And it's so hard to get in trouble these days. I mean, you got, you got, you got all the stuff out the window. It's a wild, wild west out there and, and money and such for players and all of the um, NIL stuff. And somehow Memphis – Get the coach suspended for three games. Are you kidding me? It's hard to get in trouble in basketball right now with the NCAA, and they found a way to do it. All right, that's it. The good. Porzingis looks like he's going to the Celtics. Celtics trying to get better and not have a repeat of a dud performance in the finals in the East. The bad. MLB's replay process or uh, or non-process or whoever was working last night. Did a horrible job with the Rangers replay. And then finally, the ugly, the University of Memphis and Penny Hardaway back in the spotlight for the wrong thing with the basketball program. We're going to grab a quick break. Don't go anywhere. When we get back, we're bringing in our newest contributor, Keith Dory. We will see you in just a moment. Hey, yo, business owners, need an inflation buster? Okay. Let's get after the ridiculous credit card processing fees you are paying. Call me, Jason Nall, your advanced merchant services local agent. I help businesses retain a higher percentage of each and every sale. Call 423-424-8002. That's 423-424-8002. Call AMS. Call Jason Nall. I'm in the house. I'm excited to be here and talk with uh, any subject and all subjects you want to talk about. Well, I, I'm, for those of us watching this on YouTube or on WNWSTV.com, you can see his uh, palace in the background there with a nice <laughs> outdoor setting, the pool. I mean, it looks great. 
I'm at a, a lot of hard work. A lot, a lot of hard work. <laughs> I'm over here stuck in a Hampton Inn, and you, my man, are doing it right. Uh, doing it right. So, Keith, uh, uh, a lot of things I want to ask you. One, uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit about your history in the golf business uh, as a player and both as a, as a as a, a professional manager of golf Wait. business. And and then and then talk us through a little bit about what you think about what's going on with professional golf today. Well, well, I'll fast forward as much as I can, just because from uh, about 17 years old, I started in you know really getting into the amateur field of golf and decided I wanted to get out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and play college golf. And I was a late bloomer and got lucky enough to go to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and where I met my brother-in-law, who was a member at Meadowbrook Country Club in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, That's right. So that meeting that meeting allowed me to come home and uh, practice with him because I had moved away 650 miles away from home uh, and practice every weekend and uh, start to learn the Southern culture. A boy coming from Milwaukee had no idea what was going on in the South. Uh, and, you must and, have liked it because here you are. All these years later, still yeah. loving just, the South while your buddy has moved up north with your sister, right? Yeah, you know, they they uh, they had had a great son together and both went off and did their own thing, but he never left. So for some reason, I loved it down here and he loved the north. I know one thing, if you're a golfer, you can't stay in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Good golfers come out of Wisconsin, but they move. Uh, and, then, and that's what I had to do. That's right. So good golfers come out of Wisconsin. That's the key word. That's right. That's a key word. Um, all right. So, yeah, I've I've been ranting and raving on this on the whole live deal for a year and a half now, and and everything else. But you actually played certain levels of professional golf. You were out there having to pay your own way and 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 do the things yeah, you had yeah, to do with Hooters tour and all that. So yeah, you know, the golfers golf you know, that, is really the only sport where the player. You know, there is no contract. You have to earn your money. You have to make your cuts. You have to finish yeah. very high in the non-high-profile events just to cover your expenses. Yeah, you know, you know, I guess you could uh, relate it to, you know, maybe single-A, triple-A, single-A, double-A, triple-A baseball. You know, when, when you're playing the Hooters Tour, which was at the time the only division below the Nike Tour, which was the, the grade below the PGA Tour, you know, you're not getting any contracts. You know, you, you might have some local sponsors, but – I mean, it's a grind, and and even at the time at the Nike Tour, you weren't getting big contracts, and the purses were low there. So uh, the golf, professional golf world, it's a broke world until you make it to the PGA Tour, and there's right. a and there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money in professional golf once you make it. It just really really swayed from the low divisions to the high divisions, and where I know we might be heading when we compare it to live. Uh, I'm a pro live because they they figured out that there's so much money in the golf arena and how much the world loves watching golf and playing golf. Uh, and the PGA Tour really wasn't giving the players as much as they should have, especially throughout all of the PGA Tour members as players. Um, so so I I I I watched this. Um, come together i watch them be separated uh so i've had a, a lot of opinions uh probably different than most if they didn't like what Liv did or what they were trying to do yeah i've said this before if i had 
you know, if it was someone else besides the Saudi public investment fund that was backing this, I think I would be 100% on board, especially yeah, as if, involved as I have been with golf. I just hate where the yeah. money's coming from. Yeah. But but the idea of it makes a hell of a lot of sense. It, it does. It just, you know, it's it's another player in the field. If it was if it was the XYZ fund who had 520 billion and yeah. wanted to invest in the arena of golf, everybody across the world uh, would love it. But when the media portrays them just as the downside of the Saudi bad people, then there's an angle to be mad at it about it. That's right. That's right. And and the thing is, is they really are. At least here's the deal. As far as I know, and who knows if you can trust everything you're told by Congress, I'm sure you can't trust half of it, but the congressional um, investigation said that that fund was used to help fund some of the hijackers and terrorist training for 9-11. I'm a huge 9-11 guy. The intro to our, our show is a song from about 9-11, and, and it's hard for me to get past it. Maybe over time I will, and I'll yeah. just close the I'll just forget about it. But right now it's just been so controversial for me. I hate where the money's coming from, but the idea of every other pro sport, the, the athletes are on contract. They're not expected to pay their own travel expenses. They're not expected to um, – you know, in, in basketball, let's say, if you're a basketball player, you're going to have, you know, uh, physical trainers. You're going to have different kind of coaches. They're going to give you mental coaches. Even if you're a college golfer. Now, my daughter's a college golf, golfer. They have mental coaches that they talk to on the phone and everything else. But once you get out of college golf, if you want to play professionally, then you got to take on that expense for everything. Or you got to have a great network of sponsors. This is kind of kind of makes puts it more on the same kill as other professional athletes, I guess, with with the salaries. Now, who knows if they're going to continue. They paid those salaries to get Mickelson over there and, and, and then to get the DJ and other players to get it off the ground. Do you think they're going to keep play, paying salaries to the top players or, or, or bonuses like that? Or is that was that just to create this disruption that happened? I, I think it was just to – I think it was a make a ripple – in the water to get it started. And one other thing quickly I'll go back to, um, for people who, who haven't read enough about Liv or the Saudi League or where the money's coming from, you know, the guy who brokered this g deal, James Dunn, uh, was supposed to be, you know, the policy board guy with the PGA Tour. He was supposed to be in one of the towers. That's right. Um, and he brokered this deal. So if you read some of his articles, he's the one who started all this to try to merger these two together and through his stories and all his meeting, he is the one guy who said, there is no way possible through all of my dealings with them. And he brokers deals everywhere that this group had anything or any connection or any ties to anything what the public or the news wants to tie them to. So when a guy like that who brokers deals comes out and says that he's not brokering it for his personal wealth, he's brokering it because he believes them. And he believes this is going to be the betterment of golf. You know, these this hostility between the two tours was damaging golf. No matter which side you're on, the golf world didn't need it. It was just totally different. Um, and I think it'll be cool. We don't know what what's all going to come of it. You know, what live will they're going to keep the team aspect with 54 holes. I mean, we'll get a better understanding after November this year uh, when the tour yeah. kind of takes over. You know, we'll see what happens, but. I, I was highly shocked and highly excited, and I said it was a great day uh, for the game of professional golf and for the fans of golf. I, I think it's just going to 
give us a, a new concept of viewing golf compared to the robots that we see, the young robots who are just perfect all the time and great. It's yeah. combining it's combining our local scrambles, gr the yeah. great golfers and, and the and the robots, and you just get a, a mini version of them. You know, so I I just think you're gonna you're just gonna see other aspects of professional golf besides the young robots. Well, and then you've got a good point about the guy who brokered the deal. So I, he said, if I thought that any of these people were involved in 9/11, I'd I'd have killed them he, myself he right killed, there. Killed we, him himself, exactly. That's, that's exactly that's what, what he said. said. So if we take him and his word, and he and you're right, he, he was supposed to have been in the building that day, was out for some reason, lost twenty something coworkers. He he yeah. was out for that day because he was qualifying, I believe, for the uh, U.S. Amateur. Is that right? And he okay. wasn't. He he changed. He he's a very good golfer. He holds like a sixty-three at a course record at his home course. Uh, that Tommy Fleetwood tied, I believe. Um, but he was he changed courses because his caddy talked him into playing that course, changed venues, and that's what kept him from not being yeah. in the building that day. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, so let's go back to the U.S. Open that just wrapped up. Uh, we uh, over at L.A. Country Club, first time that the U.S. Open had been there. Um, what did you think about the test? So Wyndham Clark, the champion, we'll talk about the, that in a minute, but what did you think about L.A. Country Club uh, and, and the U.S. Open they put on? So I, so I played uh, L.A. Country Club uh, a few times, and I, and I loved it as a player. Um, and I was familiar with a lot of the comments coming from the players where they said, we kind of like the course if it was just a weekend round. It's just not really setting up for a U.S. Open style facility. And I kind of knew it was coming because of how that course was built. Um, yeah. So quickly, I'll talk about the course and then we'll talk about the players. It's a quick few things about L.A. Country Club is uh, very wide fairways. And anytime you do a, a U.S. Open course, it's very firm fairways. So yeah. if they're wide and firm, that ball is going to roll a lot. And generally that ball is going to start and they're slopey. It's going to gather in the same spot. You know, so if it stays yeah. in the fairway, they're going to get multiple divots, tons of divots in the same spot. Because once you hit a certain slope and it's fast, that ball is going to go to the same spot over and over again. Um, I, I think the T setup tried to prevent that from happening, but it was happening. Uh, yeah. And the other thing you don't like about a U.S. Open course as a player is you don't like blind shots. A U.S. Open, you it's just tough in front of you. The rough is high. The greens are fast. And just figure out a way to make par. Um, and that was a little bit different. And then the final yeah, thing, so I really didn't know that they're complaining. The, the, they were, it was difficult to get patrons there. And at the U.S. Open, they want to hear some roars, you know, and it was tough to get a lot of patrons there. Yeah, I think they only had 9,000 general admission tickets that they allotted, but, uh, but most of it was hospitality and, and corporate tickets because, you know, they could stage them in the tents and the areas off to the side. But just having a raucous crowd like we've seen sometimes at Beth Page Black and different places, it was lacking. That that part of the excitement was definitely lacking. Um, right. And you expect that, right. you know, the U.S. Open, a lot of cheering. And with you know with, with Ricky Fowler on the leaderboard the final day and and Rory, you know there it would have been wild I think you know had it been a traditional fan base of the U.S. Open. Yeah, my my early pick was going to be Rory just for the reason that I mean he can hit it so far with fast fairways and he's been hitting his driver so straight. Um, 
that that wow. was my that was my early pick before the tournament started. I took Cantlay, and I can't ever seem to get him home. Uh, he finished fourteenth, <laughs> uh, and then I Cantlay, took Cantlay's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys for me. Every time I pick him to play good, <laughs> there's no chance. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, and by the way, I saw something on social media a couple couple of days ago. Is Ten thousand in one day since the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So, uh, <laughs> well, as a, as a Green Bay Packer fan, you know that that doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother you at all. Um, forget about you being a Green Bay fan. We'll get, we'll talk a little Aaron Rodgers here in a minute. All right, talk to me about this leaderboard here at at the U.S. Open. McElroy, he was right on it, one shot back, just couldn't 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 close. Uh, Wyndham Clark was tough. Wyndham Clark just. Uh, I, I saw, obviously we saw it early on. I, I thought Rory would play a little bit uh, tougher on Sunday. I I I assumed Ricky was going to have a tough problem just because I mean his game. I was the whole world was rooting for him. Uh, he hadn't been yeah. at the position, but he had he had Ricky has a tell, and that is when he has the lead going into any tournaments, he he has a tough Sunday. Um, and we kind of showed it early, and then yeah. just cl- Wyndham just. When you watch a player on Sunday start hitting the middle of fairways, not just fairways, but the middle, you know their game is on. Uh, and it was kind of showing early. Uh, I thought Fleetwood was awesome on Sunday. I mean, it just I like Tommy Fleetwood, and uh, I yeah. love the way I love the way he can charge. He just that dude I I wouldn't gamble with. I used to have a saying: uh, <laughs> "There's a lot of people I'll play. Just bring a suitcase of Meadowbrook." Uh, but uh, I don't want it to be Tommy Fleetwood. No, fairway Jesus seven under in the final round, five under total. He is yet to win on a PGA tour though. Yet to win. It's amazing. Amazing. Even coming off out of the, the playoff uh loss the previous week. Uh Tommy Fleetwood is just you don't want him in your rear view mirror too close because when he gets going, he doesn't yeah. get nervous. He just pours it on and pours it on. And and it, it's a short-term stat on him because they, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's going to be around for a while. Yeah, I, I agree with I, that. I think I think he, he'll be around for a while. I remember when he first – he's been around for a while now. When I first saw him, I guess 10 years ago, I don't know how long ago, I just remember thinking how fast his swing was. It was just a blur how quickly that damn club moved. And, and uh, very controlled. Like, his inner part of his body, when you watch it on TV, stays so still. And the club just rips around him the same way every time. Beautiful same golf way. swing. Unbelievable. Scheffler, Scheffler, I like watching Scheffler. Yeah, Scheffler had a Scheffler great Sunday. Like Gomer Powell. If you ever look at a picture <laughs> of Gomer Powell and Scheffler right next to each other, they look very much alike. And Scheffler looks like he's thirty-five, and I think he's twenty-four or something. So we're <laughs> Scheffler's a unique guy. Look, I, Scheffler's that guy too when he's not on TV. You could see him at the quick trip, and yeah, I mean, you just think yeah. this guy's just—he's just shopping for some ramen noodles or something, you know. He just, he, he's not Absolutely. supposed to be in the top ten of every major, for, you know, over the last two and a half years. No, no, definitely not. And uh, but very and grounded. Power. I mean, you almost gotta like him. I mean, very grounded. I've never met him, but uh, he just yeah. seems like a dude who's just—you know—he leaves it behind and goes to his real world when when it's not on TV. That was an inter- interesting take on Fowler. So you expected Fowler to stumble on on the final round there. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was it wasn't just my stats. I saw a bunch of stats because I did uh, place a few uh, 
final round wagers, and the only guy I left off was Wyndham, uh, just because okay. I didn't know if he was ready or not. I, I thought Rory and uh, the the money on Dustin Johnson was great. Um, uh, but but Fowler, I, I I would have taken a bet if I could have seen it not taking top ten, uh, if it was available. Just it just it made sense. So talk to me a little bit about you know that's one thing that's come along in the last ten years the way the ability to bet golf has completely exploded with the legal apps and all the stuff that people use now to bet with DraftKings, FanDuel, all that. Uh, I mean it's just amazing how much action you can get on golf yeah what are your yeah. favorite kind of plays in golf i talked leading into the open i like to i like to take a flyer a little pizza money on a couple of winners but i really like to play top 10s and top 20s because you can have a guy have a great week and finish 11th you want to get paid on it you know yeah oh yeah 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 um i i like top 10s especially if you're watching golf and you and you you track how how players are playing uh and you know the course a little bit you know you know if it's a fairway course yeah. if it's an up and down course uh, and you can watch trends of fairways hit and greens and regulation, very key stat. And then I really like matchups because if you're watching golf at all and you're using trends, matchups are always good ones to yeah. use if you're following it. Yeah, matchups are good. That's kind of for your football betters. That's it's just a head-to-head. You know, you're taking odds on a, on a player versus that player either in the tournament or per round you can bet it. And, uh, yeah, I've made some pretty good money off of that kid, Eric. Well, he's not really a kid. He's 35. He's having a great year. Eric Cole uh, has done good matchups the last couple of weeks. So I've been able to to survive off of Eric Cole money the last couple of weeks. He's done done well for me in matchups. Mat- matchup bets, to, to me, to give you a comparison, are like people bet matchups that don't watch. you are like, oh, I like that guy. Let's bet on him. He should beat that guy. It's kind of like. Uh, when people used to bet dogs, they're like, "I like that name. Let's bet on it." <laughs> so, <laughs> so guys who watch, they they have the knowledge of that should win. You know, it's a high percentage there, and we're using the money of people who don't know what's going on, and they're just taking a flyer on a matchup. So you get pretty good price if you're if you're watching matchups. We're talking with Keith Dory, our newest contributor on golf and really all things sports betting. Uh, Keith's a, a seasoned gambler with 20 plus years experience and we're glad to have him on the show uh, we're going to grab a quick break and we will come back and we're going to listen to uh, Keith tell us a little bit about his personal U.S. Open experience <laughs> uh, 20 years ago don't go anywhere this is Winning Streak Weekly I was standing by the coffee machine just looking up When the first tower fell Well, I just dropped my cup My tie grew tight in my Navy business suit And I began to think about what in the world we could do On live TV Welcome back. It is Winning Streak Weekly, where we are always in search of that next winning streak. I'm your host, Jason Nall. We're talking with Keith Dory this week. We talked about the U.S. Open, but Keith, tell us about your personal experience uh, at the Big Dance, the <laughs> National Championship 
You said it was 20 years ago this U.S. Open, right? It was 20 years ago this U.S. Open. Yeah, but, you know, it's not, it's a, uh, it was a great journey with a terrible ending. You know, when I first started playing golf professionally, the U.S. Open qualifying was kind of like, it's just something you put on your schedule and you did it. You never really thought you're getting in. So I made it to numerous U.S. Open finals because it's just one of the things you did. My move always was I would go to Wisconsin for the first local qualifier. And local okay. qualifiers are there around the whole country. Well, I would go up there because I was seasoned and I like I like northern grass. I like Kentucky blue and I like bank grass. But okay. I'd go up there. They would barely be practicing. So I could get through a bunch of the locals. Now comes the real deal, the sectional qualifiers. And there's not many of them. There's around 11, and now they do a few overseas and stuff. Uh, but that's a real deal. That's the, the longest day of golf. So my, right. my first couple, I just went into it and tried to play good, and, you know, nothing ever happened, got close. But uh, 20 years ago, I, I got very, very close, and uh, I was so the first was alternate of the first problem. alternate. It was in Kansas, and uh, I didn't really know what I was doing then, uh, but I chose that spot because it was a little northern, and yeah. they only had one spot. They only had one spot okay. available, but at that time, I was at young, cocky Keith Dory, and I could beat anybody. I don't care who's there, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. I was playing really good, and it was, a, it was a course just to hit fairways. I liked U.S. Open golf because... I never really went super low and it was just a strategy golf and I, I could do that pretty decent. Uh, and my brother was a really good caddy and we just made a lot of pars. Anyways, I kind of, one thing that people don't know is I, I, I raced a putt on the 35th green cause we were the last group and it was almost dark and they didn't want us to come back the night before. And I'm not going to tell you the length, but I missed a shorty. All right. Otherwise I'd have already, otherwise I already been in it. Yeah, so anyways, I, 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 I got my crying towel and I went home and they called me and said, Hey, you're the first alternate with the toughest percentages of entrance. And that's how they evaluate who okay, yeah. of the first alternate. So I was one of one, I had the least chance possible. So I had the highest and they said, you got to go. So all of a sudden the boohoo's were over and I went to Olympia fields in Chicago as the first alternate, first alternate, uh, and even then, we had no idea what we were doing. We went there, and they're giving us all these passes and security guards with us. And, uh, uh, I mean, what a wild event. And I just thought we were just going to practice, you know, you know, yeah. hit balls. And, you know, we're practicing on the range and the green and talking to some players that I either knew or wanted to say hi to because I never met. So a couple things about you want me to tell you a couple about why I was at the U.S. Open? Sure, let's go. Just, just, it's your time, man. I want to hear about it. All right, so, 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 all right, so Tuesday we get through day one, and remember, I'm from Milwaukee, so all of my, you know, I got a close family and friends, you know, went to MPS Milwaukee Vincent, so all my, all my best friends from high school and all my family, they're coming down to like, holy sh shit, Dory's at the U.S. Open, so I got a big file <laughs> on Tuesday. I go to, I go to the range, and uh, I'm just, I'm hitting my balls and doing my thing, and. You know, there's maybe a hundred people in the stands, and all of a sudden, it sounded like a train was coming, and five thousand people are in the stands. Oh, and I God. look at my brother and I told him, I said, "It's only one person." And Ty, uh, 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 what's his, what's uh, Tiger's caddy, whatever his name is, uh, uh, 
back uh, then. It was, it wasn't whatever Tiger's caddy, whatever his name is, I don't even know anymore. The Australian Evie. caddy for Tiger. He sets his bag down right Evie. next to me, and here comes Tiger, obviously. Yeah. So, Tig so Tiger's hitting balls, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of joking. This dude's hitting balls right in front of me, and I'm just kind of waiting for a break, and he, like, changes from pitching wedge to nine. I'm like, you always bring these fans with you? Because I was I was kind of quiet and comfortable over here. And he just started <laughs> laughing. He says, yeah, they follow me everywhere. <laughs> so uh, well, this is so we get, we get, he had 5,000 fans following him to the range. He had, oh, I don't even know how many, as many that you could pack into that little area of the driving range, yeah. however many deep. I mean, it was just wild. And that was in 2003. Yeah, so Stevie, Stevie's over there, Tiger's over there. And Stevie, you're just, Stevie, you're yeah, Stevie. Just, yeah, so. You know, my, I got so my, my brother, I got, so my brother Todd is, has always been my caddy. My brother Terry, I got an extra pass, and I made him my swing coach that week. So he was on the range, too. Okay. You know, he was all in his dress duds and looking great, and, you know, he's standing with his arms crossed, you know, watching me hit balls well. He even came out of character because he was taking pictures of Tiger. I'm like, hey. Hey, don't forget, don't forget about me. So, so Tiger can break anybody. He even broke my brother trying to take little pictures of him. Well, that's probably where we it, got it was that. A, it was a, it was a great a, picture you posted on Facebook last week of you hitting next to Tiger in the yeah, baggy yeah. khakis over there. Tiger still had the, the baggy pants on back then. Well, guess guess what? I, oh yeah, the the six pleats in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what? Guess what? Guess what happens Thursday? I'm hitting on the same spot. Same thing happens again. Here oh, comes Tiger to warm up for the. Here comes to, now. No one's speaking now because it's Thursday. He's getting ready to tee off, and I'm. I have no idea when I'm teeing off. So the same thing. That picture. I. I don't even remember what outfit I was wearing. You know, I probably bought it at Marshalls or something. You know. Uh, right. But uh, I. I don't even know if that picture was from Tuesday or Thursday because he did it again to me on Thursday. So tell me, so what happened though? You're the first alternate. You just need one person. Yeah. So not to show up. So I got, I got my own tournament official and a sheriff with me at all times on Thursday. And, uh, there were so many really nice people. Cause, uh, once they found out I was the first of the first, uh, they're like, Oh, you're in just start practicing. Um, uh, one, you know, like two guys told me about a couple of holes. Cause as an, as a alternate, you can't get a practice round because practice rounds are scheduled at the U S open. You just don't go out and play. You don't make your own groups. You know, you can, you can ed, edge them a little bit, but you've got times because people want to know where you're at. So I couldn't play a practice round. So I could go chip and putt on the greens. Uh, so some guys are nicer. Tell me about certain holes because they know I'm getting in. So first tee time I'm warmed up. The, uh, the security guard has an earpiece. Uh, the official has an earpiece in case I got to have to run up there in case someone, you know, they might blow their back out on the range. Who knows? Someone might got drunk the night before and not showed up. Yeah. So we go driving range, putting green, mingle around the first tee, get bored with that, do it again. Whole morning wave, nothing. All right. No problem. Go into the, go into the, uh, the lounge, you know, you know, back at home, you go into the lounge and get a few beers and, you know, just kind of relax, but it, you know, you couldn't obviously. And, uh, so we start again, back to the range, putting green, go to the first tee. Now I'm getting a little nervous because nobody's not showing up. 
everybody's showing up. And there's this rumor about Hale Irwin. Hale Irwin, he's the donkey of the whole thing. You know, Hale Irwin won at Medina and his back's out, didn't play any practice rounds. That's why everyone knew I was getting in. And he says for the fans, I saw his ass on the range too, knowing he could, he is no way he's going to walk to the tee. He tries the tee off. And what happens? Can't play. I don't even know how many holes. I even read an article that says he played 12 holes. I don't think he played four holes. And here he comes. Here he comes walking back in, backs out. He's getting driven in on the cart, teed off. So including him, 156 guys went to that tee and teed off. And I drove my ass back to Milwaukee. (laughs) Not happy. So you said in your own research, you have yet to find a U.S. Open where somebody didn't uh, miss their start and the first alternate got in, besides yours. I mean, you know, I mean, just remember, you know, it was the PGA, but the U.S. Open is even tougher because they're coming from all over the world. I mean, daily one is the ninth alternate, you know, that just gives you a comparison, and it's a major, and it's only in the United States. This is the U.S., so people are coming from everywhere, and 156 guys on the sheet tee off. I mean, we couldn't get one flight delayed. We couldn't get Hal <laughs> Irwin to let the young upstart in. I mean, so, so what uh, happens if you had gotten that call and if you had played that U.S. Open? Are we still sitting here talking? Is is Western Arkansas still the background behind you? Nah, we're probably not. And be, you know, because of that, you know, I've I I started the Keith Theory Golf Academy. I've coached high school. I coach. I went back and coached my college. I met my wife because of it. I, 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 I helped rebuild a golf course. I went be a head pro at Meadowbrook. My, you know, the course that raised me was a head pro there. Yeah. I have the most beautiful family and the greatest kids. And there's no way I could have been a dad if I could have been a, a you know, a tour life golfer. So at the end of the day, I missed that short putt. Everyone's mad at Hale Irwin, but I ain't got no problems. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I ain't got no problems. All right, let's grab another. And quick it usually break. does. It usually we'll does. Back. We'll come back and we're going to get some good old fashioned golf gambling stories from Mr. <laughs> Dory. Don't go anywhere. Hey, yo, business owners, tired of watching your profits go out the door with ridiculous credit card processing fees? Call me, Jason Nall, your advanced merchant services local agent. I help businesses retain a higher percentage of each and every sale. Call 423-424-8002. That's 423-424-8002. Call AMS. Call Jason Nall. by Riverside. All righty, welcome back. I'm your host, Jason All. We're joined by our sports gambling contributor, Mr. <laughs> Keith Dory. Keith, uh, you know, when you... When you think about golf, there's two things that go really well with it, drinking and gambling. So and that gambling. makes it just the perfect sport. I mean, you That's get both right. drinking and gambling. Clearly, I mean, that attracts many people because of it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing uh, how, how that does. But uh, well, 
what do you think it is about golf that makes it such a perfect gambling sport? I mean, I'm well, talking about for the players now. Maybe not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. talking about from the perspective of betting on golf. I'm talking about when you are personally playing what, golf, what, whether you're a 20 handicapper or a scratch, well, usually betting's a part of it. Bet- betting's always a part of it because it's uh, a couple things. It's head-to-head. It's just on you. It's not a team. You know, and that's the one thing that got me from baseball to golf is that uh, when I wanted to get good, it's just on you. You can you can practice as little or as much, and you can get as good as your talent will take you in golf. You know, it's on you. Uh, so that's yeah. one. It's on you. And, and two, when you gamble, you can make a bet as fair as someone thinks the bet is. You know, for instance, you know, if, if you only shoot 80, that's your best score. I shoot 70. I give you 10 strokes. I mean, you can just go at it. So, I mean, there's a lot of hustle moves within that. But the idea is we can get a bet close enough and me and you yeah. can play and, and gamble and have a great time. Everybody can be equal in golf for a bet. That's right. That's right. So, you know, you've, you've, you've bet with, uh, with everybody from the guys that can't break 100 to – Tour players, tell me some. Tell me a good story. Yeah, you know, um, there, there's, there's bets always, and uh, you know, when you're, when you're in the low ranks like the Hooters Tour and stuff, or you're just assistant pro at Jackson Country Club in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, you know, you don't make a lot, but how you make your, your side money is giving lessons, and winning bets yeah. on the course. Yeah. Uh, and I always, and I always wanted to play professional golf and I knew I would get good enough at some point. Well, the majority, I got tons of when I quit playing the Hooters tour because I was winning more, just traveling around and gambling matches. Uh, you know, if this show was three hours, I'd tell you all of them, but obviously the one everybody asked me about because, uh, everybody knows about it and, and originally didn't believe it, uh, is when John Daly wouldn't leave me alone because I used to just like kicking his ass. And uh, when you listen to all of John Daly's current stories, the only stories you get about how many times he won or how many times he beat this guy. John Daly has never been on any podcast, any YouTubes, any interviews anywhere and said anybody who's even tied him or beat him. Well, I'm that guy. I'm that yeah. guy. And there was one court and he, and he couldn't stand it. Uh, uh, in my first match, I'm the assistant pro at Jackson Country Club, and and Jim Norton calls me. He says, hey, Dory, I need you. John Daly's at Meadowbrook, and he's been beating us all, and uh, I need to get my money back. So think about this now. I'm just out of, just was an All-American, turned pro, accepted a job, and left Milwaukee, come back to Jackson, Tennessee. And I got to tell David Crafton, hey, a guy wants to pay me a 1000 bucks to show up, and he's going to give me 10% to gamble against John Daly. I need the day off. And I just, I mean, I just been working three months and I got to, I got to make him believe that. So he said, all right. So I grabbed my, one of my college roommates, he gets a video recorder to show my boss the proof and everybody else. And we go to Meadowbrook. I mean, Meadowbrook's my course, forget about it. Uh, And that was the first match. That was 1996 uh, summer. And, uh, and and we got Norton's money back, <laughs> and uh, so, he hated it. How did, how did those matches work? So Norton and you were on a team together against Daly by himself. So, did he have no, no, didn't when, when if I was playing, it was always a local guy who had the money that wasn't okay. you know wasn't you know that great, 
but it's a scramble a lot of times. Yeah. So a lot of people get involved. And generally, it's people with money and a really good golfer against Daly and the guy setting the matches up because they want to be on Daly's team. Yeah. Well, you know, I was that fiery little dude back then, man. I didn't like losing in anything. I, and it was for money. I surely didn't like losing now. So since yeah. that first that first match that we uh, beat him, that match transcended over numerous years, numerous years, always all the way up until 99 when, uh, you know, the ultimate match happened in, in, at Meadowbrook. And, uh, you know, and, and Daly played a lot there. The cool thing about Meadowbrook, it was unbelievable shape. No one really knew about Meadowbrook. It was always pristine, and we could just go do our thing there, you know. Yeah, Daly could hide out there. There wasn't nobody going to be looking yeah, for no Daly. No one was messing. And, yeah. You know, he and, played. And he he, liked, go ahead. He liked playing there because it was under the radar, and, yep. and it was good gambling. Yeah, you it was know, good Daly gambling. I mean, if he went to if he went to Memphis and do it, it'd be in the commercial appeal. You know, it'd be right. on TV. And you know, Meadowbrook was it's Meadowbrook has always been the hidden gem uh, that no one really knew about. You know, forever. You know, like I think the four ball this year is like the sixty fourth four ball, and people are still finding out about it or something. There's not a better gambling course than Meadowbrook. Meadowbrook oh, no. is the perfect gambling course. Yes, yes, I mean, especially especially in a scramble. Yeah, especially yeah. in a scramble. <laughs> you know, your yeah. tee shots always in play. The greens are always perfect, so uh, it ended up being yeah. the gambling spot. It was a gambling spot. So well, we beat him. Well, we beat him bad enough that day. Well, you know, and and I went through all the gambling days of when when Daly, you know, supposedly wasn't drinking. Then he was with Callaway and all skinny, uh, you know, yeah. giving me golf clubs, and he was always cool with me uh, for who knows what reason <laughs> back then. Uh, but you know, I, you know, my partners were Howie Lincoln and Mark Goodfell and Jimmy Foley. And these are the top dog gamblers and hustlers ever. So right. they had, they had me as, yeah, they really? had, no, no, not really. No. Uh, and, and Mark, Mark Goodfell so is a, a athlete. Are, yeah. Yeah. He's a great athlete. They're, 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 we're just, they're making sure the bet's right. And then just turn me loose. Uh, so <laughs> right. the 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 last match, it was a trend, you know, it just had been setting up for years and years, and uh, Daly just pressed that money one too much on the last hole, and it, it it didn't go his way, you know. So that was one of the last matches uh, that he had there. So Daly settled up right there out of the golf bag, pulled a roll out, and took care of business. Well, or did he, mem- did he, mem- did he- remember that's this is ninety nine. His money wasn't that good then, so it it took a minute. It took a minute to 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 get paid, but. Uh, yeah. You know, since then, I got one other quick good story that since then um, we played at his course in uh, Dardanelle, his boys and girls. Yeah. And uh, I practiced at Red Hill out in L.A. where he practiced in the winter. And I didn't know that. Well, my friends hired him for that. You know, he, he'll play with one one round in the morning, one round at night. So they hired him to play. Well, there's a connection of a member who now owns Meadowbrook that's from Red Hill too. So me, Matt Goodfella and an older fella played against three Red Hill members. They flew here and John Daly at his, at his own course. And it was a battle. I mean, a battle. And here's the ending. Me, Matt Goodfella after the match, cause it was even no money was swapped. We do the party. He invites us back to his house, shows us the bus, his house, unbelievable his bus and his room was unbelievable because it was amazing how many athletes for how many years love him 
you know, Deion Sanders, Muhammad Ali, Iron Mike, everybody in his room signs it. Well, I couldn't hang with Matt Goodfella and John that night. I mean, it was just too much. I wake up the next morning, turn on the TV because me and Matt room together. And on the bottom line, it says John Daly withdraws from the Irish Open. Well, that night he needed to be in his RV, drive it to Orlando to get on a plane. He was already paid to go there. Well, Matt Goodfellow kept him up for so long. John, <laughs> John never woke up, got on his phone, and said, I ain't coming. <laughs> so, oh so, my gosh. so I lean over. I, I look at Matt. I'm like, what time did you get home? He said, I don't know. I said, well, John withdrew from the Irish Open. He said, that's what he gets. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he gets. So that was, so after that was one of the last out. matches. Yeah, it was way after. It was like 2013 or 14. Yeah, you like like it's a true story because because you can uh, you can Google it and uh, John Daly withdraws from the Irish Open and that was the year in Dardanelle. Me and Matt Goodfellow played against John Daly at his course and he hung out with Matt a little too late. Goodness gracious! Yeah, so, so right. there's plenty well, of stories. That's a triple decker of John Daly stories oh. and you know, Meadowbrook, my home course too and. Uh, and I've uh, I never loved golf like I loved golf when I was playing at Meadowbrook. I can tell you that much. It was, oh, that was the best time to golf in my so life. So much, for sure. so much, so much history. So much history there. No doubt. You know, if, right, if well, you were part of a, it. That is a wrap on this week's uh, Winning Streak Weekly. We got three great John Daly stories. We got plenty more Keith Dory <laughs> stories, and we're going to hope to have him back on often. And we're going to let him just kind of take the mic and and give us these great golf gambling stories we you were get, going to a little major league baseball past, today but we ran out of time brother yes you get me past the all-star break we'll talk about some baseball and when we get close to the football i'll give you some good bets along with football some stories will be, football will be here before we know it and we uh are glad to have you on the program thanks for coming on and until next time on behalf of keith Cheers. i am jason all and we are out of here I said united we stand and God we trust there is no fear united we stand and God we trust there is no fear united